great to be with you all. Uh, you heard a little bit of that uh, intro stuff from Alicia. If you don't know me at all, Dan, uh, Pastor uh, Alicia went there to the name thing, and uh, that, that's an interesting one right now. Uh, as you know, we weren't planning on becoming our own independent church but on January 1st. That was something the district kind of pushed us on and we started moving towards, so we still don't have a name. We are a new church, and we're just kind of nameless right now. Uh, that's, that's the short but sweet answer. Um, we, we had to put name on the paperwork, obviously, the federal paperwork, the state paperwork, and whatever, so we put a, a temporary placeholder name down, and we have some family meetings coming up here in January now that we're through the holidays to talk through some, some possibilities with our people. So we are our own independent church, and do we have a name yet? No, we, we don't. We're just that new church out there or something like that. So... There you go. There's the, the quick update. Um, but yes, Alicia also said, we are diving into the book of Philippians. Uh, at East, you can still just refer to us at, as East until we have a name here. Uh, we've been preaching through the last couple months, and my dad is supposed to be gone. He's still sitting there. I don't know why he's here, but no. Uh, he's still here, and that's good. They're leaving soon. They just delayed their trip a little bit. So we decided, hey, let's, we've got a couple months here. Let's try to do Philippians really fast. That's what we're preaching through at East. Uh, so it is going to be a, a quicker pace than we've been doing at East. You heard this big, huge chunk of passage here. We've got two months to go through four chapters. So even this morning, we have our work cut out for us. We have a lot of ground to cover, uh, but we will do our best. Uh, as we prayed for East um, a, a bit ago, uh, our thought on going to Philippians was we, we just thought this was a good book for this time. Uh, it's a book that has uh, interesting circumstances that Paul is in as he's writing it, right? He's, he's writing from an imprisoned state, whether that's a, a cell or a, or a house imprisoned there. Uh, Paul is imprisoned as he writes, so it's interesting circumstances for him. Uh, there, there's interesting circumstances going on for the people he's writing to, uh, so it's an interesting book, and yet we see these glorious themes woven throughout, and it's, it's here in our passage this morning, many of them, themes of joy, even in hard circumstances, themes of, of suffering, themes of contentment, themes of just this, this Christ-centeredness. You heard it again and again throughout that passage, Christ, 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 in Christ Jesus there is a Christ-centeredness here in this letter, so it's a, a glorious letter to get to dive into, and uh, we, will, we will see how much we can cover here. So this morning, the, the, the title is just Joy from a Prison Cell, um, and we got lots to go, but how do you know a man? We, we see someone outwardly, we make judgments based on... Uh, how they dress, or their family, or this, or that, things like that. But to, to truly get to know a man, to get to know a person, we want to spend time with them, right? We want to talk, we want to converse, uh, and we can't do that with the Apostle Paul today, right? But we, we spend time with his written words, we hear his prayers, we hear his heart, and even more than that, we get to do these things combined. We, we hear from him. We get to see how he's living his life, especially in hard circumstances, right? You, you want to really know somebody. You look and you see who are they when it's hard. 
Who are they when things are tough? Do they, do they wither? Do they wilt? Do they fade? Do they hang on? Do they persevere? Do they endure? Do they have faith? Do they trust? That's how you know someone, right? You see them and you get a glimpse, you get to see who they really are. Well, that's, that's here, right? This is the letter of Philippians and if, you've, if you're a believer, you've been a believer for a, for a while now, I'm sure you're familiar with this book, but let's, let's dive in again, but let's dive in with that lens. Obviously, the goal is not Paul himself. But we get glimpses and we get to see who Paul is and how he endures and how he lives. And that glimpse is obviously intended to point us to, to Christ. So the outline, even though we got lots to cover, is very simple this morning. Paul's prayer, Paul's circumstances, and Paul's, in essence, Paul's response, his heart, his priorities. So that's, our, our, that's the ground we're going to try to cover, his prayer, his circumstances, and how he responds. And we just said this, uh, I went a little fast there, but obviously we look to Paul not to, because he's the greatest and he's the best. We look to Paul as he follows Christ. I, I love seeing stories. If you know me, you know I love church history. I love stories written on people's lives, and it's stories of what God's doing in his people, and I love those stories of, of faithfulness, those who are faithful who've gone before us, and this is just yet another real man and his real story, the Apostle Paul and his life, but it's not about him. It points us to Christ. So that, that's our goal this morning. So let's dive in then. Paul's prayer, you got to hear all of this. We, we don't have time, 26 verses. I could, uh, I told you we, we've been preaching through this for a few months here. So this is like two or three sermons combined into one. Uh, and uh, that means I could preach all day if you'd let me. And so we're just not gonna get to cover every word. That's why I wanted Wyatt uh, to, to read scripture, the whole passage, every word for us. We'll do the best we can. But Paul's prayer, this is really fun, by the way. I'm not used to having a screen in the back where I can see anything. I have to keep turning around at ease because we don't have that. So I'm going to keep doing that probably by habit. But Paul's heart, several things here that we see from Paul's heart in this prayer. The, the opening note from the very beginning is thankfulness and joy. And again, you've already heard a little bit of the background here. Here's Paul, imprisoned, dependent, on others for survival. He can't provide for himself. He can only receive and others have to provide for his basic needs. He's there, he's, he's never unguarded, right? Somebody is with him all the time and he's there not because he's a guilty man, he's there because of the cause of Christ. So these are his circumstances and, and from the opening note though, we don't hear woe is me, and we don't hear, man, it's hard and tough. We hear, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy. And again, that note of joy is woven throughout. You heard it later on in this passage. Christ will even now be exalted. Uh, in this, Christ is proclaimed. In this, I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice Paul is just going to come back to this again and again and again, this note of joy, thankfulness, contentment. 
uh, we see as well from his heart here, we see this close relationship with these, these believers. Paul, if you remember the background here, uh, if you go back to the book of Acts, this is like Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were here for the birth of this church. Uh, he was there from the very beginning, right? Uh, it's Lydia um, and purple dye and all that stuff, right? And she responds outside the city by the river in prayer, and Paul preaches, and this is it. This is our first foray into Europe from Asia Minor, right? This is, this is the first believer in this area. It's Lydia, and then things progress from there. Paul casts out a demon from this servant girl who keeps following them, shouting this stuff, and Paul kind of gets annoyed at one point and casts out the demon, and her owners are upset because they've just lost money from this. He and Silas get beaten with rods and thrown in the inner jail, and there's this earthquake. You, you remember all this stuff, right? But again, here's Paul and Silas in the inner prison cell singing their hearts out, praising God, worshiping him. And this earthquake comes and the ground shakes and they get to preach the gospel by not leaving, not running for their lives, but by staying and preaching to the jailer and he and his family respond and believe. So that's, that's this church, that's their birth Paul was there, he's writing, it's not a group of believers he doesn't know, it's a group of believers he's intimately familiar with, and we see this, this close relationship again and again, for I, I have you in my heart, he says, verse seven, uh, he says in verse eight, God is my witness, how I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus, so Here's Paul, this apostle, and he's not just writing to a people, he's writing to some of his people. He's writing to his brothers, he's writing to his sisters, he's writing to, to close friends whom he knows well. And, and the other thing to mention here, his prayer is a prayer of faith. Verse six, for I am confident of this very thing. We don't find him wavering. We don't find him woe is me, wallowing. He's confident that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. His prayer is one of faith in God and his good work, he says, even in hard things that are going on. I know my God. I know his faithfulness. I know he's up to his good work, and he's doing it, he says, Philippians, in you all, even in all of these things. So it's a prayer of faith. The content, let's keep going here. Content of the prayer. The bottom line and here's my assumption here. I put that up on the slide. We know Paul often begins his letters this way, right? Grace and peace, thank my God. This is a bit of his formula here. But let's take this at face value. Let's take this as more than just Paul's just praying because that's what he's supposed to do, right? He goes out of his way to say, I'm not just praying for you at the start of this letter because that, that's how I begin my letters. No, I pray for you all in my every, in all remembrances that I have for you. So let's take this as this is Paul's real prayers for this real people. This isn't just his formulaic response and we can check the box and move on. No, Paul's very clear 
He prays for them regularly. This is his heart for them. These are the kinds of prayers he prays for them regularly. In fact, we see Paul is so dependent on prayer. He, he prays for them like they really need it and like he really means it. And he depends on their prayers just the same way. If you go down to verse 19, for I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So, Let's not just check our formula box. Okay, here's Paul's prayer. No, this is a man who, who prays regularly, who prays fervently, who loves these people and with his love ties in praying for them regularly so we can assume this, these are the kinds of prayers he's praying all the time for them. But the, the content then We've already seen there's, there's faith in here. Bottom line, though, his, his prayer is one of faith in God's work and what's it going to produce in them? Verse 8, or verse 9, sorry, excuse me. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ, the glory and praise. So he's praying for them for the fruit of righteousness, to, to bear forth in them more righteousness, more fruit. Specifically for them in their situation, it is abounding love, overflowing love, more and more love paired with discernment and knowledge so that they will know how to live their lives. They will know how to respond to the, the circumstances God has placed them in. And as well, content-wise, and let's just call out a few of these here in, in the intro and in his prayer, there is a, a brutal, almost forced, but it's, it's beautiful, just Christ, 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 Christness to this prayer and this introduction, right? Again, just a few of these. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus. To these saints who are in Christ Jesus. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's there in, um, let's see here. It's there constantly in this day of Christ that he alludes to multiple times. Verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ in order that you'll be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. He greets them with the affection of Christ. It's Christ who's at work in them producing this righteousness. So it's Jesus, 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 Jesus. That's the note he's going to hit again and again and again. Like he's obsessed. Like he's consumed. Like he's driven by just one man and one thing, Jesus. So content, there you go. Uh, we've already hit some of those other things. Paul's circumstances, we've already hit that he's imprisoned. Ultimately, let's, let's say this. There, there's much we could say more about the circumstances, and everybody likes to debate which imprisonment is this. Is this Caesarea? Is this Rome? Etc. Uh, we don't 100% know all those things, so let's focus on what we do know. 
Paul is absolutely convinced that whatever God is doing, it's going to turn out for his deliverance. That's in verse 18, uh, the latter part of it, and into 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Christ Jesus. He's absolutely convinced whatever is going on, however it looks, how bleak, how unknown, ultimately, this is for his good and this is for his deliverance. God hasn't given him this task, this test to, to, to trip him up so that he'd fall. No, it's going to be for his deliverance at the end. And he'll stand firm with confidence. That's his expectation. That's his hope that he's grounded on. And he doesn't necessarily know what the outcome will be. So ultimate deliverance, yes. Near circumstances, we, we, we see it, it sure seems to me as you come back down in verses 25 and 26, uh, that maybe he thinks he's going to be around a little longer, right? Convinced of this, I know I'll remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So maybe that's bottom line where he lands a little bit. He has some hopes here that he'll get to continue on. But it's unknown. The verdict is still to be discovered. The trial is still coming, and he doesn't know if he's going to live or die. He doesn't know if he's going to see them again or not, if he'll have to just remain where he's at. And in my mind, as I think through that, that's a comforting thing. Paul doesn't have every single outcome in this life in these circumstances, 100% assured for him, right? He doesn't know. Will he live? Will he die? Will he be released? Will he remain imprisoned? Even Paul doesn't know all of that. There's a temptation, I think, as we read some of these things in this passage to go, ah, that's just Paul, and we know Paul, he's the super apostle, and everything's been revealed, and he's got it all figured out, and so some of the things in this passage, I think our temptation is to distance them a little bit from ourselves, right? Well, that's just, that's just Paul. He's got it all. So, of course, he's joyful. Of course, He's, he's content. Of course, he's not really worried here. If this is Rome, Paul knows it's going to be hard. It's going to be chains. It's going to be brutal. It, it, he's warned not to go to Jerusalem on his way to Rome, right? He doesn't have it all figured out. He doesn't know every step of where this all is headed. And he's still joyful. And he's still content. And he's still trusting. That's, I actually find that a little bit comforting, right? He's not some super apostle way over here. Everything was revealed to him. He's told some things. He's given some things, certainly. But he's a human being, he's a man, and we find his, his resolve is to trust. His resolve is to rejoice. And here's where we wanna bank the rest of our time. Paul's heart, 
Paul's priorities. How is this possible? How, how can he be this way? Um, his eyes, his heart, they're in the right spot. They're focused on the right things. There is a firm foundation for Paul. There is a cornerstone that cannot be overturned or uprooted that he is banking everything on in these circumstances. That's what he's holding on to. That's what he has. And that's why he can rejoice. That's why he can can be content. So let's just look at a, a few of these things that we see here from his heart and priorities. Number one, one of his key priorities is gospel advancement. Paul sees that happening even though he's in chains and he goes, it's all good. Why? Because the gospel is being proclaimed even more by these circumstances that I'm in. And so it's automatic check the box, it's a win. I mean, he, he says here, and this is, this is kind of the, the middle section of our passage here, verse 13 and 14, the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Here's Paul. He's the captive, but he has the captive audience, right? He's got the guy chained to him and multiple guys. So all these guards, they're coming through. They're assigned for a time. And what's Paul doing? Hey, how's it going? Let me tell you about Jesus. Because you can't move or do anything, right? Paul is taking advantage of every opportunity. Here's, here's my guy who, who's the guard for today, right? Let's go. The whole guard. They can't, they can't shut this guy up. Like, what are these guards thinking, right? Who is this dude? He's not your everyday prisoner, right? Because maybe there's a whole lot more rebelliousness. Maybe there's a whole lot more woe is me. Maybe there's a whole lot more whatever, right? Here's this dude imprisoned in chains with them, dependent on everybody else for his basic needs to survive, and he's just talking about this Jesus guy nonstop. And they can't stop him, and they can't shut him up. And the whole guard has heard about Jesus, about Christ, because of this. E even more as people, as believers, see Paul in these circumstances and they see his mindset and his attitude, they are responding with boldness as well, trusting in the Lord. Most of the brethren have far more courage to speak the word of God without Don't breeze over that phrase. Can we speak the word of God today to unbelievers without fear? What a beautiful fruit God is bearing in the midst of these circumstances that these believers who will face persecution, who will be called to suffer with Jesus Christ, Speaking with boldness, without fear. What a beautiful thing. Would God do it in us today, 2,000 years later, to speak without fear of our King and his glory 
in his gospel. So Paul sees that and he goes, amen, it's a win. Doesn't matter what happens to me. Praetorian guard is hearing People are, are, are getting bolder to speak the gospel with fear. And, and even here, he acknowledges this is the part that blows my mind. You've almost got two camps in this, this boldness speaking of the gospel now, right? You've got two camps there. You've got some who are encouraged, and so out of goodwill and love, they speak the gospel. And then there's this whole other group of people out of rivalry and jealousy to, to hurt Paul or to get their own following. And I, you know, you can wrestle with the circum, exact circumstances here of these exact people and what's really going on here. But Paul knows it. Some of these bold speakers are doing it for bad reasons. Pretense. Unpure motives. Hurting Paul. Maybe getting a following for themselves. And even here, are they preaching the real gospel? The true gospel? The gospel of Jesus Christ? They are? Okay, I'll take it. It's another, another win in the column. So, so we see again, Paul's priorities are so oriented, his eyes are so fixed in the right spots, that's, that's one way he can be the way he is. His gospel family is, in, is constantly in view and in mind, and again, I know we're, we're hopping all over this passage, I'm sorry, Eric gets to preach like five or six verses next week, and I got 26 assigned to me, this is just the way it is, so Sorry. No, there, there's such good stuff. The, the end of 127 uh, chapter, I mean, this, this book, this letter is glorious, so it's going to be beautiful stuff for the next two months that we get to dive into. Again, we've alluded to this. Paul does not fully know the outcome and what's coming here. Verse 21, these, these glorious words. Again, if you've been a believer for a while, I'm sure you're familiar with them. Maybe they're new to you, but again, hear this. Paul says, Here, here's what it boils down to. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We'll get to that dying is gain part in a, in a second here. But if I am to live on in the flesh, what does it mean for him to live as Christ? This will mean fruitful labor for me. And he will go on to say he knows it's better that he even remains because of their good, their progress, their joy in the faith. Verse 25. We talk about this regularly. We'll get into it even more in, in chapter 2, in the glorious chapter 2 of Christ, imitating him, having his attitude, who in humility laid everything aside, emptied himself, humbled himself, became obedient all the way unto death. Why? For the good of others. And again, that's pulse. That's where his eyes are fixed here. If I stay, then I will serve you, my brothers and my sisters, until the last breath that I have.
don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. I fall far short of that mindset. God in his grace is, is teaching me, maybe teaching you. This is Jesus. This is his character. This is who he has done. This is how he lived his life and died his death in the place of sinners and rebels and traitors out of love, laying down everything for them and their good. That is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for sinners like you and me. And Paul has embodied that so much. It's, it's just not on his radar. Like, if, if I live, I'll get to do this again. I'll get to do that again. Maybe I'll go here again. It, it's, it's in here, but it's all for them. If I get to live, I'll get to serve these brothers and sisters. If I get to hang on, then I will love them till my last breath. If I'm given more time, then I will go as hard as I can for their good and not my own. Oh, his eyes are fixed on everybody else and not himself. And his heart is fixed on the giver of it all, Jesus Christ. Some of the most glorious words in the entire Bible are here in this passage and here in this letter that Paul wrote to this church. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Because if I die and my time is up and I don't get released, then I get Jesus. No more waiting. No more longing, no more looking ahead to the consummation and to that day. So if this is my last breath and these are my dying days, that's even better. That's in fact far better. The, the biggest piece of Paul just wants Jesus himself. That's where he goes fully in chapter three when he comes around, that I may gain Christ. That I would know him and share in his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. All I want, if you boil it down to, to, the, to the most basic and to the biggest piece of Paul's heart here, it's just purely, I want Jesus Christ. And if I have Jesus Christ, that is all that matters. This is the kind of stuff that takes me back to the Psalms, some of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 42, Psalm 63, as the deer pants, and you probably know it, maybe you know the words of the song or, or you have the, the scripture quote, as the deer pants for water, so my soul longs for you, oh God. That's David's heart, the psalmist's heart. 
Psalm 63, one of my favorites. Can't mention the Psalms and, and just not go here. Psalm 63, oh God, you are my God. I will earnestly seek you. Paraphrasing here as I turn. I will seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in your sanctuary to see your power and your glory. And here's what he says in light of what he's seen and what he knows of God. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied. And he goes on and on and on, just the glory. Knowing having fellowship, of being in relationship, of, of tasting and seeing the goodness of God himself. That's the psalmist's heart, and that's Paul's heart here in this letter of Philippians, that I have my Lord Jesus, and that is all that I need. That's why he can say later in the letter, I can do all things. I can endure any circumstance through Christ. Paul's living for this moment. It's constantly here, the day of Christ, the day of Christ, this, this earnest hope and expectation. There's a moment that's coming. There's a moment that's coming. Paul's ready. Anytime. Anytime, Lord. Anytime you want to do it. Anytime you want to bring it. Anytime you want to bring me. Far better. Far better. And because he has tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and because his mind and his heart is so fixed on getting him, he now, with the time that he has, he's living a certain way. And we'll wrap it up with this one. This is his earnest expectation. This is his hope, verse 20 that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will, even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Where's he at? Bottom line, where's he come to? No matter where this goes, I'm going to exalt Christ. And he's oriented his life, his obedience, his priorities, his, his way, everything that he has. He's already banked everything so that he can say that confidently. That it doesn't matter. If he gets freed, he's going to exalt Christ. He's going to labor and he's going to give everything to love others and put them first and use every moment that he has for them. But if he isn't freed and he dies, I'm going to get to exalt Christ for all eternity. 
with everything that I have. No hindrances, nothing held back. His priority is on Christ himself, the giver of it all. Back to the prison cell or house. Think, brothers and sisters, this is a picture that's worth holding on to, and this has been Paul's experience with this church, this city, Philippi, from the very beginning, whether it's him and Silas singing their hearts out late into the evening in the, the inner jail cell, or whether it's here now as he writes to his brothers and sisters whom he loves, his heartbeat is still the same. Joy. Joy in those chains. Contentment in complete dependence. Not his plans, but Jesus' plans, wherever they go, whatever they do. That's a picture that's worth hanging on to. And again, if you're tempted to go there, we've already went there a little bit. If you're tempted to go there at all in your heart, that's just Paul. Let's, let's fight that with everything we have. Paul says this is possible even for himself through a couple of things, through, through prayer, even their prayers for him, through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is at work in Paul and that's why these things are possible. And so let's not just lop that off with, oh man, Paul, I, I don't know about that. No, let's grab hold of this. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what he tells believers. That's what he writes to, to them here in chapter three. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Paul says, yeah, we're not the end all be all. We're not everything, but look to us as we point the way to Jesus. How to follow him. What he can do in his people. So brothers and sisters, this has been a weird year or two for everybody, right? We've all been through crazy circumstances and there's been funerals very recently. There's been hard things all over the place. And I don't know everybody here anymore. This is the weird thing. Like there's tons of people I don't know when I come over over here. I don't know you. I don't know what you're walking through today Let's just leave you with that picture, though. Whatever he has called you to, he is enough. His spirit at work in your heart and in your life is enough. And by going to him in prayer, real prayer, are you walking through hard things? Then, then man, God, God wants you to be praying and growing in your prayer life in those hard things. That, that we, when, when God's people gather, that, that if we looked across this room and we could see it, we would see prayers going up constantly. Lord, help. God, I need you. Jesus, lead me. Teach me what you want for me. Be with my brother or my sister across the room or in my small group or my family member who I know. They need you, Lord. Help them to hang on and trust you. God's got stuff he's doing. 
He's doing that same good work in you, church, in you, brothers and sisters, that he was doing 2,000 years ago. It's okay. Hang on to Christ. If you've got him, it's enough. He can lead you through it. He can get you through whatever it is, whatever calling, whatever road he's asked you to walk. He's enough. Let's pray. God, this is your word, not, not, not my words. This book, Philippians 1, this is your word. Write it on our hearts. Write it on our hearts. For all that you've called us to today. In Jesus' name.